0: Hello, my friends. Today, I talk about Israel closing in on the final headquarters of Hamas in the Gaza town called Rafah. And strangely, Joe Biden and Melanie Jolie don't want Israel to finish the job. It would be like telling the Red Army not to take Berlin in 1945. Why? I'll take you through it and show you an exciting video of two hostages being rescued last night. Uh, But first, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. I really think that the video version of this podcast shows you so much more because we have so much videotape. Like today, for example, I want to show you the hostages being released. I want to show you the wall that Egypt has built with gas. I want to show you these things. And to do that, you need to subscribe to what we call Rebel News Plus. It's the video version of this show. It's just eight bucks a month, which may not sound like a lot of money to you, but it really adds up for us. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com, click subscribe, and away you go. All right, here is today's podcast. tonight israel closes in on the final hamas stronghold in gaza so naturally trudeau and biden want israel to stop it's february 12th and this is the ezra levant show you, you, censorious bug. Some hopeful news last night. Two Israeli hostages being held by Hamas in Gaza were freed by Israeli special forces. Fernando Simon I'm saying his name, right? And Norberto Luis Har were rescued. Here watches their family greets them at a hospital back in Israel where they were brought after they were rescued. Okay, let's <laughs> now. <laughs> Those two men were amongst the 200-plus hostages that Hamas took when they invaded southern Israel on October 7th of last year. They murdered more than 1,200 Israelis, but their real prize was taking hostages back to Gaza. Many of them were young women who were at an outdoor concert not far from Gaza when they were grabbed. Many of them were raped and murdered, but some were kept alive as bargaining chips to get convicted Hamas terrorists released from Israeli jails, and obviously as human shields to stop Israel from striking back. Here's a video of Hamas terrorists filmed by the terrorists themselves as they kidnapped literally three generations from the same family, including babies less than a year old. Just watch this to remember who Hamas is and how this war started. They didn't hide it. They boasted about it online. They live-streamed it. Remember this?
1: الانسانيه عنا مش عندو. ما حد, حد حيصيبها
0: عشان تعرف ان عنا عندنا استروها استروها وخلوها لما تبقوها اطفال <تصفيق> I've seen some reports that those particular babies have been killed, but it might be Hamas propaganda or psychological warfare. By the way, Canadian citizens were amongst the hostages, as well as many American citizens, too. They were kidnapped or killed. Arab Israelis were kidnapped and killed, too, by the way, as well as foreign nationals who are neither Israeli nor Jewish nor Arab, Hamas really are like the Nazis. And that's something I think they would proudly say about themselves. You know, here's a copy of Mein Kampf translated into Arabic that soldiers found in one children's bedroom in Gaza. You might find it hard to believe that people with a Nazi mentality could exist in 2024. And I understand where you would be coming from. Some things are so awful the mind doesn't want to accept them. So we come up with alternative explanations. I, I think I've told you this story before. I remember a few years ago when I interviewed a woman who was taken as a rape slave by Islamic State terrorists. She was, when I met her, she was a refugee in Germany who had escaped from Iraq, but then she had to escape from the German refugee settlement center, center because that was dominated by Islamic gangs. So she fled to a church in Germany, if you can believe it. Anyways, I remember how she described that she was raped so many times by Islamic terrorists that she had lost count after 240 times. And I remember my reaction. I was so horrified by her story, my instinct in my mind. I mean, I didn't say it out loud, of course, my instinct that she must have been lying. She must have some sort of angle or reason to say such outrageous things, because that's impossible that something so horrific could be done by people. But no, that's how horrific the world can be. The Islamic State didn't, usually live stream their rapes and murders and torture. I don't know if the technology was around back then, but Hamas did. I say again, the Nazis actually hid the worst of their Holocaust when they were doing it, not just from the outside world, but even from their own people. There was enough inherent goodness, inherent Christianity, inherent civilization in the German people that had they known the depths of depravity at Auschwitz, they likely would have rebelled. Not so, Hamas, which advertised its brutality as a selling point. And Hamas' supporters in the West love it. But look at this woman. I'm not sure what Western city she's in, probably London, I would guess, maybe New York. But it's in English, and she's saying, you don't get to choose how we resist, and it's dripping in blood, her sign, which means she agrees with Hamas's tactics. And indeed, it's not just a Nazi or Islamic extremist ideology that allows and even celebrates rape and murder and torture and kidnapping babies, but it's the woke Western ideology. That we teach our own kids at university that teaches that anyone who is white or Western or male or Christian is by definition an oppressor, and everyone else is welcome to do literally anything to that first group in the name of resistance. It's really stunning. But back to Gaza. Israel has moved its way through the Gaza Strip and is now at Rafa, the town that borders with Egypt, if you know the map. By the way, this is the wall between Egypt and Gaza, a more serious, more impenetrable wall, Than Israel had. Egypt, of course, like every Arab country, refuses to take any refugees from Gaza. They know all about Hamas and the Muslim Brotherhood, which is an international Islamist group that supports jihad, including Hamas. You might remember Egypt itself briefly had a coup, and the Muslim Brotherhood took over Egypt. And, you know, Hillary Clinton and the Democrats were all in favor of it. They literally met with and normalized a terrorist government. Thankfully, the Egyptian people and their military rose up and threw them out, but Egypt is taking no chances again. They're not crazy. They're not going to take Hamas refugees. So Israel has methodically worked its way through Gaza, starting from the eastern side, which borders Israel. They have slowly made their way through it and are now near that border with Egypt. It's too grand a comparison, but it's like the Red Army closing in on Berlin in 1945. There was a time when the Nazis were deep into Russia. At least 20 million Russian civilians were killed, by the way. And so the Red Army was racing to Berlin as the Americans, the Brits, the Canadians were coming in from Western Europe. Imagine Russia after suffering more casualties than any other country in the war. After an entire generation of Russian men had been ground up in the war. Imagine telling General Zhukov of the Red Army, you've got to stop at the outskirts of Berlin. Don't enter the city and definitely don't go to Hitler's bunker. No, it's time for a ceasefire. Negotiate with the remnants of the Nazis. And by the way, Hitler wasn't holed up in his bunker with a hundred Russian women and children as human shields, including for the obvious reason that Stalin wouldn't have hesitated for a second to kill hostages if they were in his way. At Stalingrad, Stalin's officers shot any Red Army conscript to abandon his post. So the idea of asking the Russians not to take Berlin and not to kill or capture Hitler and not to utterly dismantle the Nazi Party and all of its power is too weird to even contemplate. Imagine in 1945, arguing that the Nazi government should be able to live on and that Hitler should be allowed to remain as long as he makes promises, pinky swear, uh, not to invade Russia anymore. If that were a movie script, no one would would make it. It's just too implausible. It's crazy. But that's exactly what Western leftists are saying. Here's Melanie Jolie, and I only mention her because we're Canadian and she is our foreign minister, at least in name. I truly don't think anyone in the entire world cares what Melanie Jolie has to say other than, of course, Hamas, which literally made a thank you video for Canada after Trudeau voted against Israel at the UN. But I, I don't think there's a single serious diplomat or general or politician in the Western world who asks, what would Melanie Jolie say? Or, or even in the Arab world for that matter. But here's what she said just three days ago, two days before these hostages were freed. We are deeply concerned by reports of an Israeli military operation in Rafa, It would have devastating impact putting the lives of Palestinians and foreign nationals, including Canadians, seeking refuge in grave danger and making the vital delivery of humanitarian aid dangerous. And she continued, We continue our call for the protection of civilians, for the release of hostages, for urgent efforts towards a sustainable ceasefire, and for increased humanitarian aid. Isn't that odd? Jolie really, really doesn't want Israel to take Rafa. Why? I'm sure she is concerned about civilians. Of course she is. There were civilians in Berlin, too, by the way, and in Hiroshima and in Nagasaki. Israel is fighting the war in a more careful manner than perhaps any other war in history. It's not dropping a bomb over Gaza the way the Yanks did in Japan. But the thing about Hamas is they know the rules are different for Israel than for Stalin's Red Army or even Eisenhower's American Army or even Western armies of today. I mean, Obama attacked ISIS troops in a hospital in Mosul, Iraq it made the news for a day and that's it people know that terrorists hide amongst civilians western armies try to be careful of course they do but the thing about war is that it's warlike it's not peaceful if isis had surrendered the attack on the hospital wouldn't have been necessary here's joe biden leaking to the washington post in a similar vein to melanie Jolie. biden presses netanyahu on plans for hostage release protecting civilians in rafa how civilians would be spared from an israeli offensive in the southernmost city in gaza remains a huge question a senior administration official said. I think it's a huge question, and I can think of some answers to it. Hamas surrenders. That would end the war immediately. That's what Japan did after the nukes. That's what Nazi Germany did after Hitler killed himself. I suppose the other alternative is the one that's happening. Israel is going in as carefully as any modern army can. that's faced with terrorists, and they've spent nearly 20 years, the terrorists have, planning for this attack by strategically placing Their base is underneath hospitals and schools. It's been known for more than a decade that Hamas has its central command post under the big al-Shifa hospital in Gaza. I mean, it makes sense if your goal is to stop any civilized country from attacking your terrorist headquarters, but it's obviously insane if you believe in protecting innocent human life, and don't tell me that you can literally have the Hamas headquarters under a hospital and that the hospital staff and administration and donors didn't know. Of course, they knew. Here's video from the Al-Shifa hospital showing there was actually the first stop for the terrorists um, when they had finished taking their hostages. It's it's their place. It's their hangout. Imagine what they'll find in Rafah, Besides, of course, the Hamas leadership and hopefully surviving hostages. But here's a hint. You know that the UN has a massive permanent agency that runs Gaza. It's called UNRWA, which stands for UN Relief and Works Agency. If Hamas is the terrorist government, of Gaza, UNRWA is basically the civil service of Gaza, and of course the civil service reports to the government, and so it is in Gaza. By the way, UNRWA is so linked to the Hamas terrorists that Stephen Harper and other Western leaders cut it off uh, a decade ago, stopped giving aid. But Trudeau, when he became PM again, pumped $50 million back into it. And just a couple of months ago, Trudeau pumped another $50 million into UNRWA, But UNRWA is hand-in-glove with Hamas. I'll I'll say UN now instead of UNRWA because it's more pronounceable. The UN and Hamas share the same staff. UN staff literally participated in the October 7th terrorist attack. UN chat groups, like online chatter groups, with thousands of UN staff in Gaza, they celebrated the terrorist attacks on Israel. UN is Hamas. Hamas is the UN in Gaza. And let me end with the craziest story of all. The UN headquarters itself in Gaza. Underneath that, in the basement, a Hamas base. Here's what Israeli soldiers found when they came to the U.N. headquarters a couple of days ago. The, the U.N. office was upstairs. Hamas was downstairs, plugged into the U.N. systems, their power system, their computer system. It was in the same building. They shared the office. The U.N. itself was co-located with Hamas. They shared a mailing address. Just you see that tunnel they built? Here's what the head of the U.N. in Gaza said. UNRWA did not know what is under its headquarters in Gaza. UNRWA is made aware of reports through the media regarding a tunnel under the UNRWA headquarters of, in Gaza. Sure, you didn't know. You rela- you didn't know till journalists reported it. You had no idea those guys going downstairs with guns were, with hostages were. Did you see that tunnel? That's a year-long infrastructure project with heavy equipment and cement. Imagine saying you didn't know. Or that Hamas, oh, they just did that in the last week. So I ask again, why does Melanie Jolie want Israel not to finish the job? I mean, Israel's already taken 90% or so of Gaza. Wouldn't taking Rafa end the war? And isn't that the best outcome, just to end the war? Well, maybe Melanie Jolie doesn't actually want Hamas' leadership to be captured or killed. I mean, she spent $100 million in Canadian tax money on so Hamas. Maybe, maybe she doesn't want Hamas to lose? And just maybe, maybe there will be some things found in Rafa, like were found under the UN headquarters, like were found under the Al-Shifa hospital, that show that Trudeau and Jolie and the rest of the liberal Hamas caucus knew a lot more about what was going on than they let on. I mean, Israel is finding many unusual things now that they're on the ground here. Let me quote one report here. The IDF, that's the Israel Defense Forces, say it located intelligence that Al Jazeera reporter Mohammed Wisha, Moonlights is a commander in Hamas's anti-armor unit. At the end of last year, he moved to the R&D division of Hamas's air unit. Surprised, not surprised. So that, that's a laptop that they found of an Al Jazeera journalist showing he's actually a Hamas terrorist too. I wonder if any of the CBC sources were Hamas terrorists too. I wonder if any Canadian staff were terrorists too. I wonder if Jolie is worried about other records, a list of Hamas terrorists, membership lists, because Mark Miller the Liberal Immigration Minister, he has said he wants Canada to take literally thousands of Gaza refugees, and he's frustrated that it hasn't happened already. He's very impatient. That's what he said. Here's a clip. I wanted to follow up on your comments in the House yesterday about the
1: Rafa border and your frustrations with sort of getting family members out. Can you give me a sense of how many um, people have been pre-approved so far and, and what the challenges are? There? Well, we
0: have an initial list. That local authorities need to help us get people through the Rafa border mm-hmm. crossing. Canada doesn't control that. Uh, and, and I'm pretty pissed off about it. it you know we've made a pretty broad program for uh, people that have relatives in Canada it is unique so perhaps uh, perhaps there is uh, some trepidation by, uh, by people on the ground as to let these folks out but it's a humanitarian gesture and it's immensely frustrating for me I still think we have uh, before I speak More publicly on it, I think we still have uh, some diplomatic work to do. Now, opinion polls show that 75% or more of Gazans support Hamas. Every hospital, many schools, many mosques are Hamas bases. The UN's schools teach anti-Semitism and teach hating Israel. The whole place is a terrorism incubator. And Trudeau has been sending in millions of dollars and wants to bring thousands of them over here. Ending the war by defeating Hamas would stop a lot of Trudeau's plans, wouldn't it? But it would also save a lot of lives, Israeli lives, Arab lives, possibly even Canadian lives, too. Stay with us for more. You know, of course, war is terrible, obviously. Of course, casualties, uh, not just from soldiers, but civilians are one of the worst parts of the war that's happened in Russia, Ukraine, it's happened in every war in history, um, telling Israel not to take out the Hamas leadership would be like telling the Red Army in 1945 not to take Berlin. Um, the obvious question is, why? Why would you stop the Allies from taking Berlin and taking out Hitler? Um, instead of a guest segment, I want to show you something that I did last week. I was invited on Infowars, which is a really big audience, and some people say, oh, Alex Jones is too controversial. I find him a very engaging and entertaining interlocutor. I, I think he reads the news obsessively. He's got a sense of humor, and like all of us, he's had his flourishes from now and then. But I like going on a show, and I'm obviously in control of what I say, and I express myself, and I, I had a good visit with him the other day. I want to show you. He has me on from time now time because he wants to know about Canada. He wants to know the truth about Trudeau and other crazy trends up here. So uh, let me propose to share with you some edited excerpts of my recent sit-down with Alex Jones. I'll leave you with those. Until next time, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters to you at home, good night and keep fighting for freedom.
1: So, Ezra Levant, heads up, Rebel Media, one of the best media organizations, is pro-human, pro-truth in the world. Rebelnews.com at Ezra Levant on X. We're going to cover the waterfront here with him. I've been trying to get him on for weeks since he was, did a great job there uh, from Switzerland at the Davos uh, operation, knocked it out of the park again uh, with his crew because we had some big victories in Canada, at least for now, backing off the state, killing mentally ill people that they're wards of. And we've also got new clips of Trudeau saying, Canada's not great. How dare you say that? That almost tops his, uh, he admires Xi Jinping above anything else because he has a basic dictatorship. And we've also got, um, the media meltdown over Tucker and Russia, Israel and Gaza, Canada petition to get out of the UN, WHO, open borders, ongoing transgender insanity in Canada. We're gonna cover it all. Ezra Levant, you're 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 the quarterback this hour and the coach. What do you want to jump into first? Yeah, I wanna tell
0: you, I think the most important piece of news in Canada in 2024 was a shocking shocking in a good way, court decision by our federal court of Canada, it ruled that when Justin Trudeau invoked martial law two years ago in response to the peaceful truckers, when he seized bank accounts, when he deployed riot horses against peaceful protesters, that was illegal, unconstitutional, unreasonable, unjustified. Those are all words from the ruling. And... Further on, he said the way it was implemented was against our constitution, the seizing of bank accounts. Here's an example. The, as you know, a lot of households have a joint bank account between mom and dad. So if dad was protesting, they would seize the family bank account so mom couldn't buy groceries or medicine or pay for school. So it was that, so it wasn't just that the invocation of martial law was illegal. The judge said the way it was implemented was illegal too. This was such a breath of fresh air. This was so encouraging. As the kids say, it was a white pill moment, and it's done one more thing, Alex. Not only has it vindicated all the truckers and put the blame around Trudeau's neck, but it has now fired the starter pistol for hundreds of Canadians who were debanked to sue the government because the pretext of having their bank account seized was just declared unlawful. The only people breaking the law during that trucker protest other than some parking tickets was Trudeau himself. Last point, the week that this federal court ruling came out, the justice minister under Trudeau who had implemented martial law, he abruptly announced he was quitting parliament and retiring, but we caught him deleting his Twitter account which has all of his public statements and his private direct messages. So we've gone to court to freeze his Twitter account. I think he's trying to delete his tracks now that hundreds of Canadians are going to sue him over that false invocation of martial law. So listen, the world is in jeopardy, Alex. There's bad news everywhere. But every once in a while when you get a win like this, especially from a court that you
1: had sort of written off, it's worth taking a moment to celebrate. By the way, I'm kicking myself for not raising that. When I wanted you on a few weeks ago, and you were, I understand you were busy. I wanted you on about that ruling, and then you, 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 that was the reason I wanted you on. Now all this other stuff has happened. But again, I want to say this again. The the, the WF, the UN, all of them have said Canada is their main model. Uh, Klaus Schwab has said Trudeau is who he's most proud of as the model we played that clip many times i'm not going to play it again but it's on record just type in klaus schwab says trudeau's the model we penetrates the cabinets the 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 the, the u.n and your deputy prime minister and all of them have now come out just this week and said we want to take the bank accounts and demonetize anybody that criticizes the Ukraine war, anybody that criticizes open borders. So they're trying to take the model of the social credit score from China to Canada to, and, and now externalize that everywhere. That's why this victory, I know the court brought up the debanking as the worst part, uh, is so incredibly important. Yeah, you know, there's just this
0: week... Uh, a member of parliament for our socialist party introduced a private members bill that would criminalize, like not just make it mildly illegal, but it would be a crime punishable with more than a million dollars in fines and two years prison time. This private members bill, as as it's called, would make promoting the oil and gas industry a crime. I know you're thinking, no, that can't be. There's got (laughs) to be some catch there. The member of parliament who introduced it actually compared it to anti-tobacco legislation. And and there's a common thread there. They don't want you to be able to criticize oil and gas. They want you to, you know, Uh, use less carbon. They're also in Canada proposing to make it a crime to, quote, deny a genocide against indigenous people. If you deny that there are mass graves of Indians at the Indian residential schools, even if you're a skeptic, even if you're Indian yourself, they say that should be a crime. So there's all these movements in Canada to strangle free speech about key issues. And the thing is, in Canada, it's happening all the time, but remember when I was in Davos, Switzerland, covering the World Economic Forum? They're all pointing towards the 2024 US election. That is the number one subject of conversation for the global elites. I think I told you that the two names that were on the lips of the delegates of the WEF more than any other were, number one, Donald Trump and how can they stop him, and number two, elon musk and how he is their impediment to stopping trump it there i am in europe with all these europeans all these globalists but they're obsessed with those two disruptors
1: in america i want to report that to you alex because you want to know Uh, you you told us but it bears repeating and people ask me is musk good or bad Uh, you can't lie The, the the facts don't lie you judge a tree by its fruits he was never really a bad person, but he's involved in every major technology so people can be as scared of the technologies and other implementation. I certainly agree with a lot of that. We should be very careful. But if you look at one point in the compass being total freedom and one being globalist tyranny, he was kind of in the middle before. He swung almost all the way over to being like a Tucker Carlson or an Ezra Levant or an Alex Jones. And so is Joe Rogan. And I know Joe Rogan personally. I know he's really awakened... Pissed off. So I think people need to be able to sit back and realize we're having cultural victories, and 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 and, and that we we need to get ready for people to come over to our side and, and not just reject people when they start doing so many good things. What, what's your view on that, and, and and what do you think, gut level and and also intellectually, about Elon Musk? Thanks for asking. My number one fear is that he is exposed to the Chinese
0: government because he has such a large uh, production facility. China is such a large part of his plans. So whenever I see him asked about China in one of his interviews, he really clams up a bit. That's my number one fear. But let's talk about the number one journalistic moment of the week, which is Tucker Carlson's upcoming interview with Vladimir Putin. That would not be aired on any network TV, I think it would be banned on YouTube, Elon Musk has assured that that will be seen as in, in its totality. And as he says, let the people judge it. And, and think of all the other things that he has permitted, including, if I might say, the revival of your accounts. And so, I mean, that is a proof point. You see his tweets lately about open borders immigration? He's, he's sounding like a rock-ribbed Republican, and I, I have to say, no man is perfect. But as Ronald Reagan said, I'm paraphrasing, he said, a 10% enemy is still a 90% friend. And Elon Musk is a friend to everyone who cares about the free dissemination of ideas, the ability to speak truth to power, and and the, that's why they hate him at the World Economic no, Forum. No, exactly. And, anybody,
1: and startups was interrupted, but anybody that sits there holier-than-thou about Musk I mean, I just ask him, okay, so you wish he'd just get rid of Twitter and stop doing the good things he's doing? No. he's. I know people that know him personally. I'll leave it at that. He lives here in Austin. I'm friends with some people that are very close friends. I've interviewed him for two and a half hours. They say behind the scenes he is completely red-pilled, totally pissed, and awake. Now, I know that about Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan had dinner. He's like, you're totally right, Alex. It's all true. New world order. He's come (laughs) out against us all. And and so I know Joe's for real, and I – clearly see that Musk is rapidly moving into our camp because as he said just yesterday, if the West collapses, the world will collapse. We've got to expand civilization. It doesn't sit in stasis. It will totally collapse. The globalist plan for post-industrial world will create a new dark age, and the elites will be destroyed. This crazy leftist Klaus Schwab King Charles Nazi-esque depopulation plan will destroy everybody, and Musk is smart, and he's right. And so thank yeah. God for Elon Musk. And It's not a kiss-his-ass scenario. Trump's not perfect either, but thank God for, for President Trump. I mean, I'm just sick of people acting holier than thou. Does anyone
0: in America, does anyone in Canada actually think for a second that many of the world's calamities would be happening if Trump were in office? All the things they don't like about Trump, mainly his personality, his jokes, his crass style— those are the things that scared the beans out of the bad guys. And I believe Trump, when he says he would end the war in Ukraine in 24 hours, I believe it never would have started. And I think every Democrat knows that in their bones. And I think every Democrat knows in their bones that some, you know, uh, Mad Max style Houthi terrorist wouldn't be shooting at oil tankers or U.S. aircraft carriers with impunity. They wouldn't even try it if Trump were around peace through strength Donald Trump didn't go starting wars but he had a wildness in his eye a twinkle that that you looked at him and you said I'm not going to try anything with this guy because America's on top no one feels that way about Biden Biden thinks he's still negotiating with Francois Mitterrand who hasn't been with us in decades and Helmut Kohl and Helmut Kohl You know, he's. I suppose they say when you start to lose your mind, your memory goes back to your childhood or your youth. Soon we'll have him talking about corn pop again or something. I tell you, November can't come soon enough. But um, I'm worried because they will not stop at anything to block Trump. So much depends on it. Trillions of dollars, the states of entire countries, the dominance of the U.S. currency versus others. The entire world hinges on what Americans do. And let me be more precise. We know which way California is going. We know which way New York is going. The entire world depends on maybe a half a dozen battleground states in America. And that's why election integrity and that's why uh, freedom of speech electronically is so important. And we're up here in Canada. And obviously we want to get rid of Justin Trudeau because he's poisonous. But I have to tell you whether or not Trump wins or not, or whether or not Trudeau is re-elected or not, I think Trump winning or not probably has more effect on our lives up here. I mean, Trudeau's awful, don't get me wrong, but in terms of how the entire world would change or not, your election is important to the whole world, including to us up here in Canada, including Australia, including to Europe. Well, that's right. I states, mean, Elections include-
1: other than a few city-states of Greece 2,500 years ago, never really existed until about 250, 260 years ago. And so this election really is the most important election in world history. I,
0: I think that's right. And we each have a role to play, journalists like us. Our job is to tell the other side of the story, to follow the facts wherever they lead, to shine a light of scrutiny on things. And when people say you're not allowed to talk about that, to say, why? I want to talk about it. The fact you're saying we're not allowed to talk about it makes me want to talk about it twice as much. And that's my thought about Tucker interviewing Vladimir Putin. Everyone's so against it. Now, others have interviewed Putin, including after he invaded Ukraine in 2014. Why can't Tucker? Because he's shown an open-mindedness? I think Tucker, for his own reputation's sake, is going to ask interesting, firm Questions, not just banal blather. I don't think he's going to let Vladimir Putin quote get away with things. I think he's going to let Vladimir Putin talk. That's your job when you're talking to a world leader like that. I think Tucker knows this is his moment to shine, and I think he's put an enormous amount of. Oh, I've never seen questions. him
1: so excited. He's been trying for t- three years to do this, and I'll just leave it at that. But yeah. he is just. This is all. When when I was up there months ago up in Maine with him, he was just. Absolutely, he goes, when I go to Europe, you know Europe. And I go, yeah, Europe, the big interview, he goes, yeah, yeah. I mean, he he, he really wants to stop World War Three. and absolutely, and, and I, I don't think I know, Ezra, their attempt to demonize and shut this down, it would have got 100 million views on X. The the Streisand effect is going to get this a billion views total one way or another.
0: I think so, because it's not just Americans who want to see it. Everyone in Europe wants to see it, and everyone around the world who wants to see both Tucker and Putin, this is historic in a way. And and I, I mean, I'm curious, and every hater is curious too. I mean, both pe- both fans and foes want to see it. You don't think every single analyst at the CIA and NATO is going to watch it? You don't think Vladimir Zelensky is going to watch it? They want to hear answers to real questions. I And <laughs> I think we can all judge what we hear for ourselves. And the fact that Hillary Clinton or or others are actually talking about criminalizing this journalism tells you a lot more about them. It's so funny, the projection, and I'm not saying that Putin's a good guy. He's a former KGB agent. I'm sure he's uh, he's uh, ended some lives directly. Um, he's, he's not a pleasant dude, but for people like Hillary Clinton to start talking about authoritarian moves like jailing journalists, she she doesn't even realize how much she's projecting the authoritarian nature of the left has certainly come out in regards to Tucker. It's, it's
1: quite telling. No, I totally agree. And they're also now saying they want to use the Espionage Act. And they say, if he exchanged questions with Putin beforehand, that's espionage. No, espionage is giving somebody missile secrets or submarine secrets during a war. Tucker's not giving them military secrets. He's going and talking to them. You know, we know about...
0: Democrats who received millions of dollars in payments, for example, from the wife of the former Moscow mayor. We know about millions of fu- dollars going to high ranking Democrats, even in the president's own family from Russia. That would, be, if you're interested in espionage and corruption and that's influence, that's right. That if would Putin a, a gave a him $10 million
1: divide. to be pro Russia, that would be espionage. But there's no evidence of that. But there is from the Moscow mayor. There is three. And there is yeah. Bur- but, yeah and And, listen, Tucker,
0: Tucker doesn't need the money. Tucker's doing just fine. I think he's I think he's making a name for himself. I saw Christiana Manpo, I think it was say, "Oh, Tucker, you're not the only one trying to get He was criticizing Tucker and saying, "Oh, we've all been trying to get it." Well, that's it's it's jealousy, partly, too, isn't it? I mean, What journalist wouldn't love to have this moment? You would, I would. Well, Tucker's the guy with the momentum and the gravity and he's been telegraphing for years, he wants this. I bet he's been thinking of his questions for three years, Alex. I'm looking forward to seeing it and every hater will be watching too. It's like what they used to say about Howard Stern. The only people who listen longer than the fans were the foes, and for the same reason. What's he going to say next? Except this isn't just jokes and and sex jokes. This is the stuff that. Wars and peace are made of. It's
1: going to be historic, I think. I'm excited to see some real journalism instead of the propaganda I see. Well, I, I mean, you're absolutely right. And and that's why this is bigger than Tucker or Vladimir Putin. It's about stopping World War III. It's about Kennedy getting on the phone with Khrushchev and the Cuban Missile Crisis in the early 1960s. We need this dialogue, and, and we need to know that all Americans don't hate Russians and all Russians don't hate Americans, and that it's actually The opposite of that, and look, I don't like hearing the Ayatollah Khomeini or Khomeini before that. I don't like things he was saying. I don't like those guys, but it was okay when all those big national 60 Minutes reporters went and talked to him because that's what you're supposed to do, and what they're really saying is your children, you're not allowed as adults to hear what another adult is saying, and that's just the essence of tyranny, and that's the essence of being treated like a child.
0: You know, in Davos, I'm not sure if I told you, when I was here for the World Economic Forum, remember, so many companies and countries have a big pavilion outside the secure area, so we could go into them and see what they had to say at the United Arab Emirates or India or whatever. Ukraine has a big pavilion every time. And I went there last year and I went there this year. And obviously, it's their national message. You could call it propaganda. But I went there with an open eyes, an open heart, and listen— Alex, the number one victims here are the Ukrainian people. How many hundreds of thousands of people have been killed? young, An entire generation of young men. I saw a report that the average age of the Ukrainian soldier these days is 43 because they've wiped out the generation of young people, let alone the millions who have fled the country as refugees. The number one beneficiary of peace would be the Ukrainian people. And when I hear the alternative just flinging more men a, a, in, into the meat grinder—it's heartbreaking. And I, I listen. I and went, now they want to now they want to the- wanna
1: conscript women, and even the former U.S. top general from NATO, just retired a few years ago, he said two weeks ago, "It's time to conscript the women." This is barbaric.
0: You know, it's heartbreaking. And I, I tell you, if I had one question to ask Putin, and I know I'll never get the chance, it would be this: There's so many reports from different people who were there that there was when Israel was actually helping to, Israel's friendly with Ukraine and Russia. So Israel was hosting a, a kind of peace talks, this is over a year ago, and there was a general template on a, on a peace agreement, and Boris Johnson was dispatched to scupper that deal at right. the last moment That's has been widely reported from various people in the meeting. How, and and what did the West, what did Ukraine gain from the additional war besides more devastation. And Israel didn't get any credit
1: for trying to stop the war. Netanyahu did do that. You know, it should be. I mean, could you
0: imagine if the war was stopped there? I want to, I would like to hear Putin describe what the deal was, and why it was called off, if he would be interested in the deal, because otherwise, how does this end? What's the end game for Ukraine, simply de- depopulating the country, throwing more? Well, men. that was my next question. I,
1: I, I mean, they now even admit in the New York Times, we knew this a year ago, six months ago was certain, they have been decimated, they can't get new recruits, the Russians never wanted to take the whole country, they wanted that security zone, and then to lure the, the NATO proxy army in for destruction what putin said two years ago has now been done i think it's fair to say ukraine has lost and it lost in a
0: number of ways and it's heartbreaking and i and i say that having gone through and in absorbed the ukrainian message in davos and i went in there knowing okay i'm going to be getting the full monty from the Ukrainian side. But you know what? It's a story of loss
1: and pain. And yeah. And they've been valued. They, I mean, they're outnumbered, you know, 10 to 1 by the Russians. You can't deny the Ukrainians have fought like hell, but all the analysts knew it was a suicide mission. So the West sits back, winds them up, pushes them in to die, knowing Russia was going to win. You know, Ukraine on a,
0: it had uh, one of the largest caches of nuclear weapons after the Cold War. Because remember, they were part of the Soviet Union. And other than the Russian Federation itself, Ukraine had the most nukes of any country. I think they had, other than America, I think they were in, it was America, Russia, Ukraine, and then. Britain. Yeah, Ukraine was positioned.
1: Ukraine was positioned for war by Europe, yeah. And they were convinced
0: to give up their nukes. And Bill Clinton signed, I think it was called the Bucharest Memorandum, or the Budapest Memorandum, basically saying, give up your nukes and we promise we'll help you. Well, that's sort of a parable, isn't it? Never give up your guns, let alone your nukes. If Ukraine had its nukes, Russia never would have invaded. And there's a parable there about someone saying, give up your own self-defense, we'll take care of you. That paper was worth nothing and and my heart breaks you know my own family came from ukraine 120 years ago obviously i regard myself as a canadian but you know it's what a disaster that war has been but it's still celebrated as a victory across the west